Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Reverend Ella Skipwith schedules her life around a smell. She wakes up and goes to check for it, almost like the weather. I open the door to see if the odor is out there, okay? If it's not out there, then if it's anything that I have to do outside, such as uh, mow the lawn or rake the leaves or anything that I have to do outside, I try to hurry up and do it while the odor is not there. Because once the odor gets started, you cannot go outside. You have to keep your windows closed and you have to keep the doors closed so that the odor does not get in the house. This odor is the smell of hog waste from giant industrial hog operations. And it's a common smell in counties across eastern North Carolina. The state is the third largest producer of swine in the U.S. It's home to more than 9 million pigs. All those pigs generate a lot of waste. And that waste generates the odor that people like Ella have to live with. For decades now, they have struggled to gather in their yards for barbecues or to hang their laundry outside. It seems pretty terrible. So when the people in these communities decided to protest against this odor, why were they not heard? From the Vox Media Podcast Network, I'm Dylan Matthews, and this is the third season of Future Perfect. This season, we're exploring how the meat we eat affects us all, because the complicated system we've created to produce cheap meat has consequences for everybody. Over the course of this season, we'll look at the consequences for animals, for the climate, for worker safety, and for our health. But today, we're looking at what hog farms have meant for the health and environment in North Carolina communities. And we'll see just how hard it is to fight for changes in how our meat is produced. The fight against hog waste in North Carolina has come from a bunch of different corners. Take Larry Baldwin. His corner is the environment. Back in 2002, Larry became one of North Carolina's river keepers, someone who monitors water quality in a river. I was the noose river keeper. Actually, the lower noose river keeper, because there is an upper noose river keeper. Noose, like, noose? <laughs> N-E-U-S-E. Part of Larry's river keeping involved paying close attention to hog farms and their effects on his river. And to do that, he had to understand exactly how they were disposing of waste and why it might be a problem. He gave us a rundown of a typical hog operation. These were not farms out of a storybook. And, and I even asked people, how many of you have seen the movie Charlotte's Web? How many of you cried just a little bit? Okay, that's not, <laughs> that's not how we raise our meat anymore. Take pig meat, for example. Pigs are usually kept in a long, long building. It's dark and it's crowded with thousands of pigs inside. 
And if you'll forgive me, Larry's going to walk you through some very gross math. One hog, one adult hog, produces between eight and ten times the amount of fecal matter per day as a human. That's eight to ten times as much poop. So if you take a facility of 5,000 pigs and you do the math... That's a town or a city of 50,000 people. 50,000 people's worth of poop every single day. And that waste is not dealt with the way our waste is dealt with in cities. It's what I refer to as an archaic system. It's called the Lagoon Sprayfield System. So imagine this long, low building, 500 feet long. The floor has open slats in it. So when they defecate or urinate, it falls through those slats into an area underneath the building. It goes through a pipe out into what they call a lagoon. When I say the word lagoon, probably what comes to mind is, you know, this place down the Caribbean where pretty ladies sit around in bikinis drinking tequila. These lagoons are not that. They are cesspools. They are open pits of feces and urine. They can be the size of a football field. Millions of gallons. Those open pits of waste have a powerful smell. It is horrendous. If you ever really want to get on a serious weight loss program, don't worry about Slim Slow or whatever. Every day before you're ready, go sit beside a hog cesspool. It is that overwhelming. So that's part of the source of the odor in the community. But also, these pig operations are literally just spraying this waste into the air. The way to kind of visualize, you know, the backyard sprinkler that kind of, you know, it oscillates and goes around a circle. Now, imagine one of those with a pipe several inches in diameter. And so it's shooting this waste into the air. So you've got, now you've got that mist that's in the air. But now it's also landing on the ground. The hog operations argue that bacteria break down the poop in the lagoons, making it suitable as fertilizer. And so they're spraying it on the fields in order to recycle the nutrients. And they say that they're doing it responsibly. But Larry worries about runoff. He's measured dangerous levels of fecal matter in the water. He's seen the open pits of waste flood after storms, spilling poop everywhere. He's devoted a lot of time and energy to documenting these problems. Okay, well, I probably shouldn't tell this to, well, I'm going to tell it to everybody now. Back in 2009, Larry was preparing his wife for their third wedding anniversary. I said, uh, I got a special day planned for you. So we went to lunch, had a nice lunch. And then Larry introduced an extra surprise. I said, change your clothes, we're we're going for a boat ride. What are we going to do? Um, I took her out counting dead fish. There'd been a massive fish die-off linked to farm runoff. And as Larry explained to my producer, Bird, he really needed to know how many fish were dead for public health reasons. But you have to go when it happens. And here's one of the biggest differences between what we do as waterkeepers. Wait, 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 wait. Why is she still married to you? (laughs) I thought I could kind of get past that pretty quick and just keep going, but you're not going to let that happen, are you? Clearly, Larry was very committed to his job. And yet, in spite of all these efforts and sacrifices for his research, it wasn't getting much traction. He'd sent his findings to the state, but they continued issuing permits to hog operations. And Larry wasn't the only one who was frustrated. 
or the only one doing research. A community organizer named Naima Mohammed was also collecting information, along with a scientist named Steve Wing. There would never be another Steve Wing. He was a middle-aged white man who believed that communities have the right to have research to help them understand what was happening to them. Steve has since passed away. But he showed Naima that factory farms are not evenly distributed throughout the state. There are people who live close to not just one of these pig operations and their lagoons of waste, but several of them. And those lagoons are clustered in counties that are 40 to 50% Black and Hispanic. And we felt like it was no mistake because these were the communities that had the least amount of economic power and political clout to fight off these industries. When Naima and Steve found a connection between pig farms and black and brown communities, they wanted to let people know. Naima had spent most of her life organizing communities for social justice causes. So she had a plan. She'd drive out to different counties and ask people if they already had an organization that was talking about the waste spraying. And she'd record their stories. Every time they spray that lagoon out there, I have to wear a mask. This odor is terrible. My head throb, my eyes puff up, my eyes run water. Your eyes start running water, you start coughing and gagging, feel like you want to throw up, you know, and trying to hold your breath to at the same time, trying to get to and from your destination. I got a letter telling me not to drink my water, don't cook with it, don't wash with it, and if possible, don't let my dogs drink it. Steve would also hear stories. This is from a lecture he gave before his death. People told me about contaminated wells, the stench from hog operations that woke them at night, and children who were mocked at school for smelling like hog waste. But when community members complained to the hog farmers, Naima says that they were told that the farms were having no effects, that their kid's asthma, for example, probably came from the family pet. So Naima and Steve wanted to help people prove there was a problem. Now, one thing we have to remember is that this was back in a period where Black people didn't trust researchers. Many still don't, because of the legacy of 20th century studies like Tuskegee, where our doctors withheld proven syphilis treatments from their Black patients for 40 years, just to see what would happen to them. But Naima and Steve asked the community to help them design their experiments. And so they would tell us what they needed, and then together we would all sit down and try to figure out how do we get to what you need. People wanting to know why when I go outside, my nose burn, my eyes run, I get nauseated, I throw up, and then that would help shape the research. Ultimately, they designed a study to monitor 16 neighborhoods. They gave each participant a journal, a kit with equipment like a blood pressure machine, a timer, a peak flow meter, and tubes for saliva samples. Steve's team would take readings in the area. they get a sense of how much hydrogen sulfide was in the air when the operations were spraying and when they weren't. And the participants would go out twice a day and record their own experiences in the journal. They'd rate the smell, take their blood pressure, breathe into a machine that recorded information about their lungs. And they would give the saliva sample, cap it real tight, stick it in the freezer. 
What did we find? Levels of gases and particles recorded by the pollution monitors were related to respiratory symptoms, lung function, irritation of the eyes and nose, stress and anxiety, and residents' ability to engage in daily routine activities. They also did studies linking hog farms to hypertension, asthma, mental health issues. The National Pork Council has since commissioned a report pushing back on Steve Wing's finding that communities of color were disproportionately impacted. They questioned the size of the radius around farms that he selected to measure impact. They also objected to how Steve sourced participants for his studies from the community and pointed out that only a small fraction of participants rated the odor as very strong. But given the relationship this research found between odor and health issues, it seems clear it's not great for communities to have giant open pools of waste nearby, especially if you're periodically spraying that waste into the air. So Naima and Steve were fighting their fight and feeling frustrated. And back on the Lower Noose River, Larry Baldwin was doing his riverkeeper thing, counting dead fish on his wedding anniversary and taking samples, but feeling frustrated. We knew that the water keepers and the river keepers were documenting what was happening in our waterways in North Carolina. But they would always talk about the impacts on the water and the impacts on the fish. And we was like, well, what about the impact on human beings? And so we sort of confronted them on that. And then we all began talking about it. We started seeing this marriage of two, two different points of view. Naima's organization formed a coalition with Larry Baldwin's River Keepers and Water Keepers, and also with a local group co-founded by a community activist named Devon Hall. Together, they started lobbying the North Carolina legislature for change. Hard. In 2007, Naima and Devon took a group of people down to the state capitol in Raleigh. They gave the legislators all their scientific documentation. They gave them copies of a DVD Naima put together with community members' stories. And they built a mock hog farm on the lawn outside the legislature. It had two little hog houses. It had the roof pulled back so you could see the hogs and their cages inside. And it had two kiddie pools filled with 40 gallons of pig poop. So when we was pouring it into our lagoon, the facilities manager came over and asked us what we doing. And when we told him, he said, well, if y'all spill one drop on this lawn out here, we're going to have to fine your organizations thousands of dollars for cleanup because we're going to have to call in hazmat because it's toxic waste. We say like, toxic waste, really? Well, we, we didn't know that because when we loaded it on the truck, it was organic fertilizer. Remember, that's what the hog operations called it to justify spraying it on the field. So we don't understand how we drove it 40 miles up the road, and then you tell us it's toxic waste. And since hog operations were spraying this organic fertilizer near homes, Naima's mock hog operation had an irrigator spraying waste into the air. The legislators complained about the smell. Yeah, that's disgusting. And we say, disgusting, Really? It's only 40 gallons, but you ask the community to live with 19 million tons of this stuff every year. So, you know, we don't see what your problem is. So, 
With their combined forces, Larry and Naima and Devon were trying to become something that the legislators and the hog operators couldn't just ignore. Because at one point, they, you know, they just had to worry about these crazy environmentalists over here. And they had to worry about these environmental justice folks over here. Oh, crap. Now they're together. They're working together. And now they're starting to bring in attorneys. I'm Marion Engelman Lotto, and I worked at Earth Justice, which is a nationwide not for profit. I love Marion Lotto. <laughs> She's forgotten more about some of the stuff than I'll ever know. She is just that intelligent. And yes, you can tell her I said that. Marianne had actually been interested in the problem with hog farms and waste for a while. And now she was coming to North Carolina to help Larry and Naima and everybody else who'd been fighting for such a long time. So after the break, what happens when Naima and Larry and Devon and Marianne all combine forces? Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back. In the early 2010s, Marion Lotto's legal nonprofit gave her permission to spend some time and energy on hog farms and their environmental impact. So she came down to North Carolina to meet with Naima and Larry and Devon. And they had a budget, I think, of negative one. Um, (laughs) The first time I called them, I remember, you know, they had no gas money. And money continued to be a problem over the years. It dictated where they would get together. So for an important meeting in 2013... We met at uh, the favorite pizza hut that is off an exit off the highway, so it was near to everybody. As they sat in the back of the Pizza Hut, Marianne helped them think through their options. She outlined one potential approach that was a little unusual. Basically, Marianne thought they could hit the state instead of the hog farms. Every five years, the hog farms would go to the Department of Environmental Quality in North Carolina and say, can we have a permit saying our hog farms are safe, please? And the state would say, sure. People would complain, our waterways are being polluted, our air is polluted, you know, we have asthma. There's all this research coming out, and yet 
the state just keeps churning out the same permit every five years without sufficient protections for people's health. I mean, you, you could start a transformation away from lagoon and spray field systems. You could, there are a lot of things you could do, but they weren't doing any of those things. They were just churning out the same permits. And that was where, according to Marianne, the state was breaking a central tenet of civil rights law. Because the state was getting money from the Environmental Protection Agency, federal money. And the civil rights law was clear. Any department getting that federal money could not be doing things that hurt people of one race more than another. And if the state was giving out permits that hit black and brown communities harder than other communities, and that disparate impact was avoidable, then they were discriminating. Therefore, in Marianne's logic, under the law, the EPA should stop giving North Carolina money. But it was not all cheese pizza and exciting plans. I did not have high hopes at the time that it would get us very much. Marianne was a realist. She could only think of one time that the EPA had ruled that a department was discriminating, even though she could think of lots of potential examples of environmental racism. And even if they did convince the EPA, then they'd have to do more work with the state to make changes, which would be a whole other struggle. And so I think there is no way to be a responsible lawyer or advocate and talk to a client or community and raise expectations that it's going to be effective. So she presented the option, and over the course of more meetings, gave Naima and Devon and Larry time to think about whether or not they wanted to pursue it. It's like, you don't have to ask me twice. It's not because I'm a rabble rouser. It's a passion for me. This was the approach they all wanted to take. That was six years ago. The crap that we went through. It was a long, long slog. First, the lawyers had to collect all the studies that had been done in one place and all the comments people had left on past permits. The social scientists were involved, the epidemiologists were involved, um, the water keepers were involved, and residents were involved in giving statements. The statements were a risk because some people's names were on the record. Members who have spoken out have felt threatened. Retaliation because they had already experienced that over the years. People told EPA officials that they had been tailgated, yelled at, confronted in parking lots, and threatened with guns and physical violence for speaking up. One woman said that someone connected to a hog operation had come in and shaken her mother in her chair and threatened her family. And since these pork plants create thousands of jobs in these counties, Larry says that there was also community pressure not to rock the boat. These are some of the bravest people I know because they still have to live in those communities. But once they gathered all the evidence and presented it, they had a real stroke of success. In January of 2017, the EPA wrote what's called a letter of concern. It cited Steve's research about the effect that the hog operations were having on nearby communities, and especially communities of color. And it recommended that the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality rethink the permits that it gave to swine operations. For the team, this letter was fantastic but they still had to have settlement talks with the state of North Carolina to figure out what changes the state would be willing to make. Those talks stretched out for months. Well, they were like a nightmare to me. 
<laughs> There's been Pulitzer Prize-winning reporting on the close ties between North Carolina's politicians and the pork industry. And in the talks, both Naima and Larry felt that the state was too cozy with the pork interests. And I said this to Marion more than once. I think we're just wasting our time and our breath. Eventually, the settlement did come through. Settlements by their nature are compromises. Nobody's super happy with all the results. Here's what they did get. We did get air monitoring, water monitoring. And they got the state to agree to make some changes to the draft of the new hog operation permits. So that's a tremendous accomplishment through this process for both the state and and for the community. But did we go out and buy champagne for everyone? No. There's just so much more to do. This whole fight was over the lagoon and spray field systems. And the hog operations can keep their lagoons. They can still spray waste. In the settlement, the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality was clear that they did not think their earlier permits violated civil rights law or disproportionately impacted communities of color. The National Pork Council put out a report arguing that the EPA's letter of concern was based on Steve Wing's findings, and in their view, those findings were flawed. The Department of Environmental Quality has done new air quality studies. They found that there are times when levels of gases like hydrogen sulfide in the air are above average, but not high enough for them to intervene. We reached out to them for comment on this story, and they pointed to their new air and water monitoring controls and the new permit drafts as signs of progress. To Naima and Larry, after so many hours and so much work, this is a little hard to accept. We were not satisfied at all because we felt it could have been stronger. It needs to have been stronger. They're tossing us bones. You know, here's a bone. Go, go sit in a corner, chew on his bone, and shut up, is almost the way it felt to me. So I, I wish I could adequately, in a very short sentence, describe what it's like to work in this mess. Frustration is probably the best word for it. Frustrating and pissing you off. There's discouragement. There's frustration. Sometimes there's anger. But, but My wife has asked me before, she said, would you do this all over again? Without a doubt. As a matter of fact, I had granddaughters that said, Grandma, when you going to retire? I was like, retire? In this world, you don't retire, you just die. Every time I walk into a grocery store, I walk past stacks and stacks of pork and chicken and beef. And since the vast majority of the meat we eat in the U.S. comes from factory farms like the ones in North Carolina— there's a good chance that those pork chops and chicken drumsticks left a trail of waste behind them. And so for us to eat cheap the way we do when we go into these markets, we need to think about who's paying the price, who's bearing the brunt of this cheap meat we keep getting. I'm not going to sit here and tell you or your listeners that they have to become vegetarian. I don't have that right. But I can at least try to illustrate to you what's happening to get that pork chop on your plate and what responsibility you have for it being there.
There are seven more episodes to come all about how the meat we eat gets to our plate. So keep listening. For now, this episode was produced and co-reported by Bird Pinkerton and edited by Amy Drozdowska. Our hosts are Seagal Samuel and me, Dylan Matthews. Jillian Weinberger is the senior producer of this show, and Jared Paul mixes it. Liliana Michelena fact-checked this episode. And Liz Nelson is the executive producer for Vox Podcasts. Ella Skipwith's interview and interviews with other residents all came from Naima Muhammad's video, The Rest of the Story. Thanks to her and to Acacia Cadogan. Marianne engelman Lotto now directs the Environmental Justice Clinic at Vermont Law School. Thanks to her and to Viveka Morris from the Yale Law, Ethics, and Animals program, who advised us. Thanks also to Kate Daly and Lauren Katz. Music in this episode from APM, Chris Zabriskie, Poddington Bear, Little Glassmen, and Jared Paul. This podcast is made possible thanks to support from Animal Charity Evaluators. They research and promote the most effective ways to help animals. And if you like this podcast, we're going to be covering this topic a lot more. And in fact, we're hiring an editor to help us do that. We've got a link to Future Perfect's Future of Meat page in the show notes if you want to find out more.